I think quite often we don't realize the amazing benefits from a mental standpoint. And that is also just from like, I'm even noticing it in terms of the intermittent fasting I'm doing at the moment, but the mental clarity and the renewed energy that you can actually get from doing this as well. And I think one of the biggest things that, and one of the biggest reasons biohacking is trending so much is because of the mental benefits too, right? Welcome to the Wild and Well Collective Podcast, where we believe empowered health is your superpower. We have combined our expertise in medicine and nutrition to bring you the latest research, expert insights, and success stories of people on a mission to live a big life. So buckle up and get ready to learn how to live wildly well. All right, today we are talking about biohacking, which is super fun. When you say biohacking, you know, when you hear the word biohacking, there's so much that kind of comes underneath that umbrella. But we're going to pull out four topics today that we find are really useful in our day-to-day intermittent fasting, breath work, a circadian rhythm, and then cold dip and sauna. So can't wait to dive into this. Let's start with intermittent fasting, Sheree. It's just a really well-known and kind of hot topic right now. And I would love to bounce ideas off of you or just your experience personally and with clients with intermittent fasting. And one thing I really want to point out too in our discussion is the difference between men and women when it comes to intermittent fasting and who this is for and who it's not for and and how maybe, you know, different individuals should switch it up a little bit. So let's dive in. Tell me a little bit about your experience with intermittent fasting and your thoughts on it. Yeah, I love this. I love this topic. It's something that's so controversial as well. And like you said, there's such a big discrepancy between male and females. And I can't wait to dive into that. Interesting with like, my experience with intermittent fasting, it's something that I'm actually doing at the moment with having long COVID. So really fun to be experimenting on my body. That's one of the reasons I love biohacking so much, right? It's not something that I do often because of, and we'll get into this in a little bit, but like because of the effects it can have on the hormonal cycle and disrupting our natural circadian rhythm. But for the benefits of the autophagy and like cell renewal and regeneration and getting rid of all the, essentially the crap that's living inside of our cells, that's why I'm doing it at the moment to really support and boost my immune system. The other time I absolutely love doing fasting is for a four-day fast. And I typically do these in more of like a gut reset type situation. So it'll be a bone broth type fast where you're just literally living on bone broth and maybe some warm lemon water and honey to keep your body in that sort of fasted state. But it actually helps reset, repair, start the healing, like fast tracking that healing process of your gut microbiome and, you know, reducing food sensitivities, food intolerances. So I typically do that three to four times a year. So like once a quarter, just give my body a bit of a cleanse and repair. And that's what I've been doing for the past couple of years. This is the first time I've ever done actual intermittent fasting and my window at the moment is about three to four hours I'm also popping training in the middle of there if I can manage some sort of some exercise so I'll eat train come home have some dinner and then cut my window off and then go to sleep so yeah three to four is a tight window when we say window what does that mean yeah so window means the amount of time you're actually eating for so you'll probably have heard of the five two, which is five days on, two days of fasting. So you're not eating at all for those two days. Other windows that are really common is like the 16 eight. So you've got eight hours of eating, 16 hours of not eating. So that's what I mean when I say window. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I really like on a continual basis the 16-8. That tends to work pretty well for me. And that looks like eating for me and my schedule, noon to 8 p.m. Although I really think that, you know, ideally it's more 10 a.m. to 6, something like that, like really cutting off, cutting off eating a little bit earlier. But just with our busy schedule, a lot of times it ends up being the noon to 8 kind of thing. Yeah, I have used it a lot personally for myself. Also... I would recommend it a lot to patients who had some insulin and resistance, meaning, you know, maybe they, their blood works show that their blood sugars were running a little bit high or their A1C, meaning their past three months show that, you know, they're continually running a little bit high. It's really great at allowing the body rest, allowing the pancreas to not have to be pushing out insulin in response to blood sugar because you're not eating. And so it really helps to heal some of that and reverse some signs of prediabetes, even diabetes, right? So to really help your body start to use fats for fuel. So it can be a powerful tool with that. You mentioned a little bit about autophagy, which is a big word for really saying cell renewal. Yeah. So it, it's like a cell that is encouraged to recycle because fasting is a little bit of a stressor. And so the cells are then, you know, get the signal to, hey, we need to utilize all that we have here. So let's clean up a cell that maybe has some components to it that's not healthy. Rather than scrapping the whole cell, it's just cell renew it. And so that can be really helpful with regeneration. But along those lines, I said that, that intermittent fasting is a stressor. So who is intermittent fasting not for in your experience? To be honest, I generally don't recommend it for a woman because the day-to-day -day stresses that we tend to be exposed to are really high. Not just women, but when we look at the whole picture of our hormonal cycle, right? And I know that you do it quite differently in terms of different phases of your cycle. So I'm super excited for you to share that. And this is where, you know, everything we're sharing here on the podcast and hopefully our listeners can take away is like, it's such an individual thing. Like try it on. Also make sure you're looking at the research and that's where I'll start. Like if you're looking at a lot of the research with intermittent fasting, it's done on men and that's so much easier for them to do because they have the same hormonal cycle within the same 24 hours, right? Whereas as females, we have our 28 day, 32, whatever your menstrual cycle is, as long whilst during your menstruating years. And typically science isn't really done on us because our hormones fluctuate so much, it's really hard to get effective readings and so if you couple the stress of intermittent fasting with the fact that our hormones are changing continuously throughout our cycle most women are struggling to even get hungry first thing in the morning right and we kind of think that that's a good sign oh great i might as well not eat because i'm not hungry and it's like that's actually a sign your metabolism is not doing what it's meant to be doing and so if you're one of those women that are waking up starting your day with a cup of coffee or potentially grabbing a muffin or something and or skipping breakfast completely, you're probably not going to benefit from the intermittent fasting because your body's already in this high state of stress. Your cortisol is probably already going through the roof, right? So we couple the stress of intermittent fasting on top of that, it's going to cause even more hormonal disarray. So if you're someone that's, you know, identified with having hormonal imbalances, you feel like you're constantly overwhelmed or overstressed, you feel like you've maybe been diagnosed with adrenal fatigue or burnout or whatever you want to call it, then it's generally not a place I would start. And a lot of the women that I've worked with come to me in those super high stress states. And so I look at their bodies, like the last thing we need is to be putting you under that sort of pressure, especially when a lot of the research does point to the fact that you could do a 12 hour fast overnight, say from eight till eight and still get very, very good effects. I think the problem is people are eating later and later 
and then waking up early, breaking their fast with a cup of coffee and then going about their day and their hormones, their blood sugars, everything's all, all over the place. Mm-hmm. And to clarify what's breaking the fast isn't, so things that break the fast are anything that raises blood sugar. So coffee is one of those things, you know, we say black coffee with nothing in it is okay. Although it can kind of spike yeah. some adrenaline, which can release some sugar naturally from the body just in response to that adrenaline, right? So, but technically pure water, you know, unsweetened tea and black coffee do not break a fast. So, you know, you can stay in there, but I do agree that it's not for everyone. It can be really powerful, which is why we're talking about it. Like it can have a lot of health benefits, which is why you're doing it. But they're also, you know, it it should be handled with, it's not a one size fits all. And so same for me, I take a lot of caution with women, also with men who have been under a lot of stress for a long time because of that stress factor. So if I run tests on them and I see that their adrenal glands or their cortisol levels are really off, you know, they're not, they don't follow the natural pattern during the day. That's a signal that their body is under some chronic stress. And I don't recommend longer fasts, you know, certainly 12 hours is fine of fasting, but I even 14, but I wouldn't push it. The other thing that I did want to talk about with intermittent fasting and women is that our bodies are different, just like you mentioned. So when you aren't on the birth control pill and you're naturally having your menstrual cycle your hormones fluctuate throughout the month. So like we're not the same at the beginning as we are in the middle as we are at the end, hormonally. And our body, whether or not you want to be pregnant is a sign of health is ovulation and being able to be pregnant, have regular periods. So that being said, we want to create a safe environment for the body and the body's naturally going to try to conserve energy or we need more nutrients. So I always recommend when we break our cycle into one through four weeks, one being the start of your actual bleed week, and then four being the very tail end right before your next cycle starts or your next period starts, I recommend week one, the bleed week, and week three being more of longer intermittent fasting. Week two is right, you know, as your body's trying to really grow that uterine lining, you're about to ovulate, like you really want to be adding more nutrients to your body and pushing that with intermittent fasting can be detrimental. And then the last week, that week right before your period, you naturally tend to crave more carbs and, you know, you get that through healthy carbohydrates, but trying to push the envelope with intermittent fasting that week is really just adding more stress to the body. So the female body is more apt to to feel comfortable with week one and week three being the weeks that you kind of push that envelope. So I think that that's something that needs to be addressed with women that we aren't, you know, men sometimes that have healthy adrenals, they can they can fast any any time really and, and you know, scrunch their calories into a window. But yeah, like you said before, we are not little men. We have a completely dynamic system. And to honor that really adds to your health. And really, that's really biohacking, right? It's taking, we already know about the body and just making it even better, right? So wanted to point that out for sure. Yeah. Anything else on intermittent fasting that you I think, love? Yeah, just going back to, like I said, the four-day fast that I do, like I really, obviously I specialize in gut health as a huge focus. And I think quite often we don't realize the amazing benefits from a mental standpoint, And that is also just from like, I'm even noticing it in terms of the intermittent fasting I'm doing at the moment, but the mental clarity and the renewed 
energy that you can actually get from doing this as well. And I think one of the biggest things that, and one of the biggest reasons biohacking is trending so much is because of the mental benefits too, right? We're looking a lot at the physical benefits. It, you know, intermittent fasting is known for its ability to help shift weight as well. Like you said, and that comes down to renewing that insulin um, sensitivity where a lot of people are developing that insulin resistance. But the effect, like when I do my bone broth fast, because I'll draw from that because that's the one I have the most experience with, the mental clarity and focus that I have is phenomenal. It's so great. I just wake up in the morning, super energized. I'm raring to go. I smash out so much more work than I'd normally get done because my brain is just so clear. You're really eliminating that brain fog. And then you're able to keep that up after the fast because you have really supported the gut and healing. Because a lot of the times the reason, right, we're getting that brain fog is because of that gut-brain connection. We haven't got those good folks. And quite often we're living in with a very high carbohydrate diet. And that's also contributing to that brain fog, right? So I think from a mental standpoint, it can be really powerful. I often feel really uplifted, a lot happier. So there are some incredible mental benefits to fasting as well that I don't think get talked enough about. I have never done a four-day fast. Do you, I mean, the idea of it just scares me. Now you're not doing just completely water, right? No. Like you're doing, okay, so you, you get to done breath. Okay. And then did you work your way up to that? So, you know, how did you get to the point that you could do four days and not shoot someone's head off or feel like you just can't get out of bed? <laughs> Well, initially I did it because I struggled with candida overgrowth. So fungal overgrowth, for those who aren't aware what it is, and it can cause a whole host of symptoms in your body. Mine was really flaring up as really bad eczema, weight that wouldn't shift, really low moods. It was starting to affect my hormone health and just my day-to-day life. And I did some research. They suggested fasting. And I started off with a two-day fast. And I was like, wow, this is incredible. I'm one of those people, to be fair, that if I put my mind to something and I've committed, I'll just do it. So I'll throw myself in the deep end and I'm like, my body's my experiment. Let's just try this on. Hence why I'm doing what I'm doing at the moment. But when I did more research, I actually read a book, Dr. Michael Ruscio's book, Healthy Gut, Healthy You. And he was talking about this four-day fast. And I was like, hmm, he does it quite differently. But I did some more research, did some looked into the science and I was like, I'm going to try this bone broth thing because the idea of having absolutely nothing scares the living daylights out of me. But if I know that I've got this month of bone broth, that should be fine. So I, I just threw myself into it. was like, I don't like to prescribe anything unless I've tried it. Did it for, I did it for a full four days, but my sleep was horrendous. I was, heart was racing in the evening. I was tossing and turning all night. All I was having was bone broth. Now, I then went and did more research to be like, why on earth is this happening? Because <laughs> this is horrendous. And my nervous system, my nervous system was so wired. And so now, like in the protocols that I issue or when I do it myself, I make sure I have, and it's not much honey, right? It's just a teaspoon of honey a couple of times a day and like some warm lemon water and with a little bit of ginger as well, because ginger's got beautiful anti-inflammatory properties. And make sure I have one of those before bed as it must. As soon as I have that, again, that little bit of carbohydrates just calms down the nervous system, allows me to fall asleep. And I get the best sleep. Like I, you know, looking at my Apple watch, I haven't done one since I've had my aura ring, but looking at my Apple watch, I go from getting, you know, maybe an hour and a half to two hours of deep sleep to three to four hours of deep sleep at night when I'm fasting, which is just amazing. So it just shows how much the body responds in such a beautiful way. And that's why you wake up feeling more refreshed, more energized, more mental clarity. The body feels so much better. So 
Yeah, that's my experience. Yeah. I love that you figured it out too to add the carbs because, you know, yeah, it's definitely a stressor on the body. Interesting insight there. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Now you're getting me to want to do the four day. <laughs> <laughs> that is less scary than going, you know, cold turkey, just water. <laughs> well, that's what I just tried to do, right? That's what my doctor put me on. My holistic doctor put me on for a long bit. And he's like, just try and fast for as long as you possibly can. And I got to 42 hours on just water and I could feel my heart racing. I had a terrible night's sleep the night before. And I was just like, actually, I need to listen to my body. This is creating more stress than it's worth. And I just shifted straight into the intermittent and my body feels so much better for it. Yeah. And I think the longer fast too, to be clear, really should be only done maybe once a month. Like you said, maybe once a quarter. It's the intermittent fasting daily that is very doable. I mean, especially if you're doing the 16-8, only eating in that eight-hour window. Another population that I would say should be, you know, wary of this and maybe avoid it completely are people with history of anorexia or, you know, any kind of eating disorder because that can definitely trigger back into it. So barring any of those those things, I think it, it it's really a healthy thing for us. Like you said, like it gives the gut a total reset. It helps with blood sugars. It helps with cell renewal. And then all of those things combined, we think clearer, we, we actually have better energy, kind of opposite of what you would think. The other thing, though, is to make sure that you're eating a, a good enough amount of calories, too, because I think some, particularly women, can, you know, maybe really miss out on the nutrients that they actually need if they don't really pay attention. So it needs to be done responsibly, but when it is and it's and it's a good fit for you, it can be really, really powerful. So we both love intermittent fasting. <laughs> With some restrictions around it, but, you know, I definitely think it's an amazing thing. What about cold dip and sauna? So my experience with cold dip in, you know, we have a swimming pool. So in Texas, we don't get cold for very long, but it does get cold for a period of time. So I don't have a cold dip, you know, tub, but in the winter, like right now, our pool runs around 50 degrees. So you know, sure, it's not the 34 degrees that you see some people doing, but 50 degrees is uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I get out there and I set the timer for three minutes and I go up to my neck in the pool. And, you know, there's so many health benefits to it. But the other thing and what really pushes me is the mental resilience it requires to get your body in just this uncomfortable, like no part of your body really wants to do this, right? It's really uncomfortable. And working through it and really tapping into your breath and really tapping into, yes, I can. Yes, I could do hard things. So for me, it immediately shifts, you know, my mental state. But what's happening on like a chemical level is fascinating. Like it actually releases dopamine in the brain, which, you know, then helps boost testosterone. So it can boost sex hormones as well. It's a short-term stressor. Hormetic stress is what that's called. So it's it's a stress that really tells the body like, oh, we got to get our, our stuff together here, right? Like we need to be more resilient. So on the cellular level, it's actually helpful to you. So that's my experience with it. I limit it to about three minutes. I typically try to do it in the winter months, you know, four or five times a week. And yeah, that's my experience. What's your experience with it? What do you... What's your take on this uncomfortable yet powerful practice? I love that you brought up the hormesis and like the the mild stress that we need to adapt, right? Like that's really what it is talking about and building up that resilience. And a hundred percent, I think it's a huge, huge mental challenge. And the science behind the benefits for someone who struggles with anxiety is incredible as well. Mm -hmm. And when we're talking about cold therapy, you know, this is talking about cold showers. 
It's talking about ice baths. It's talking about cold plunge. Like, you know, there's so many different names for it. My experience with it, the first time I did it, it was actually like a friend had a big chest freezer, went over there and I'd been doing a, a protocol at the time to really support my gut healing all of that. And I jumped in and I was like, okay, no one really told me like the great thing to do beforehand is breathing. But within about 30 seconds, I'd managed to really focus my breath, bring myself back into it. And I was, I was about, you know, up to just above, you know, my chest, not fully submerged at that point, but I managed to last four minutes in there full like freezing. I mean, our, our degrees are a bit different over here. <laughs> We're in Celsius, but it was really, it was really cold. It was about nine, eight or nine degrees. And I felt incredible afterwards. And then I didn't do another one for ages. Long story short, we actually bought like a little tub, like an inflatable thing that you can fill up with ice. And I do them, you know, I try and do it at least once a month at the moment, but I'd like to do them more regularly. And with that intention being said, I've actually moved into cold showers. So the benefit of doing the cold showers, I find is it's so easy, right? Everyone has a shower at home. And it's just, oh, that's awful. I've just got massive warm and feeling really good. Why don't I go and do the cold shower? And I was, what can I do to really support my immune system at the moment? And so I've committed to like a month of doing cold showers at least once a day, just for 30 seconds. I'm slowly increasing them at the end, but you feel so much better. And I was at a seminar not so long ago and they talked about the cold shower, hokey pokey. I don't know if you, do you, have you heard about it? Oh, I know. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I was like, maybe. so you literally like, put your lift arm in, you put your lift arm in. So you just do the hokey pokey in the shower. If you're someone that's kind of like, this cold shower stuff is not for me, I can't withstand to be under it for a long period of time. It's a really good way to get yourself into it. And you can just do, you know, your chest. And the main thing, right, it really supports that lymphatic drainage, the ability for our body to reduce inflammation. So you want to get where your lymph nodes are. You want to put it on your face as well. Because again, all of um, stimulating that, lymphatic drainage is really really powerful so you want to get your lower back because you want to support your adrenal health and your kidneys and all that sort of thing so doing the hokey poke you're kind of just turning yourself around and getting a little bit of that cold exposure but one of the interesting studies that i looked at prior to diving into this was it actually in terms of immune system uh, it reduced sick days doing just 30 seconds just 30 seconds of cold showers a day and reduced sick days in this one trial by 29 percent so like even just the fact that that's all they had to do. They didn't change diet. They didn't change exercise. They didn't change any other lifestyle factor. And sick days reduced dramatically. Like that's actually a very significant decrease. Was phenomenal. And I think, you know, when you think about the overall, like you said, the increase of endorphins, the increase of dopamine, it's one of those things that people can add into their daily life just like brushing your teeth. Yeah, you totally can. And I think I think the most effective way is submerging. But I love the hokey the idea of like, just get started, get doing it. And everybody does have a cold shower. And there are benefits to even the cold shower. And just that little nudge, I mean, you know, to give the definition to hormesis is just, it's something that in too much, you know, too much could be harmful. But a small amount is just enough to really push the body. And so, like what you said, it boosts the immune system because it's just a small stressor to wake up different parts of our body to release different hormones. It's a great way to start your day. I know that sounds awful to start your day, like freezing and uncomfortable, but this kind of rolls us in. We'll come back to sauna, it's heat, but this kind of rolls us into the topic of circadian rhythm 
And this isn't necessarily biohacking, but it's acknowledging and using it in your favor. So circadian rhythm is really the, you know, our bodies are, you know, we wake up in the morning with the sun and then we are programmed to get tired and fall asleep with the dark. And it's really powerful to harness that because when we do, then we get that longer sleep, then we are more awake during the day. But our lifestyle right now with, you know, with phones, with crazy schedules, oftentimes our circadian rhythm is off and it really can lead to brain fog. It can lead to depression, anxiety, not feeling fully ourselves. But one way to encourage our brain to get on to that circadian rhythm, which is waking up with the light, is number one, getting light in our eyes first thing in the morning. So full spectrum light. So that would mean going outside if you can within the first 30 minutes or exposing your light to bright light if you get up before the sun. But the other thing is the cold plunge in the morning or the cold exposure in the morning because that can really, that really wakes up the body. It really gets those neurotransmitters going in the morning. And so that's really where I would say it's ideal to apply it. I personally don't do it right when I wake up. I typically do it in the morning hours though, like in the first couple of hours that I've been up, I'll go out and dip in the pool to get my day started. But on the topic of circadian rhythm, I just wanted to acknowledge that too, is not really a biohacking, but like, like I said, like really harnessing that power that we have and the importance of it. Because when we talk about longevity, when we talk about energy, when we talk about living a big life, we need to be on during the day. Right. And I wanted to talk a little bit too about if you really can't stick to like maybe your schedule doesn't allow, you know, proper circadian rhythm, but if you're able to do it, yeah, getting up in the morning, seeing bright light, and then in the evening, having dimmer light in your house. Like once the light goes down to have your lights dimmed, to turn off electronics, if you can't, you know, stay off from your computer, your phone, using the dimmer on that so that you're getting less and less of that bright blue or full spectrum light in your eyes. That is really going to help that melatonin naturally rise so that you get a better night's sleep. For people who are night shift workers or you just you your job requires you to be up late at night or you are traveling a lot you want to try to encourage that as best as possible so what you want to do is focus on bright light when you want to be awake and focus on dark when you want to be asleep and so those are the things that can really help you harness that power so that when you want to be awake you do feel more you know you feel full of energy your brain is responding to the signals that you're getting because really our brain is encased in a skull, right? Like the only outlet that our brain has is our senses and ideally our eyes. And so we want to tell through our eyes, through light, through when we eat, through all of that, tell our brain what time it is based on the stimulation. So when you want to be awake, you want to make sure you have the bright light. When you're, you know, winding down, make sure that the lights are dim because that's really what signals the brain to switch into sleeping. So I wanted to touch a little bit on that circadian rhythm as well. But let's go back to temperature. What about sauna? Do you recommend it? What are your thoughts? That's another intention for me this year. And I really want to get into them a lot more. I think, you know, the hot therapy is another form, like you say, of that hormesis and getting, building up that resilience. And there's a lot of research to support how beneficial it is for the body. You know, I was reading something the other day that said, if there was a drug out there that you could take that could reduce all incidents of death, all cause of mortality by about 40%, everyone would be taking it. Well, there's so much research to support that saunas do the same thing, simply doing them for about four to seven times a week for about 19 minutes. So something so simple that we could be applying that just takes a little bit of discipline, it can have like phenomenal effects on your longevity, right? Which is what we're all working towards. And 
I think so often that's why biohacking is becoming so amazing and really taking off because we've been living too short and dying too well, right? Our quality of life has been terrible. So how can we enhance that? Things like the saunas, you know, when you think about how little we really sweat nowadays, mm-hmm. right? We're probably sitting sedentary most of the time. We don't really build up our, our, our level of intensity unless we go and push ourselves through some form of exercise, you know, or put ourselves in a situation like a sauna to go and get our sweat glands really, really working, which again, helps get rid of the toxins in the body. It really speeds up that detoxification process. It really supports, again, our immune system. It can decrease, uh, decrease chronic headaches. There are so many benefits to sauna therapy. Yeah, I agree. It's huge. And they've t- actually tested sweat to see what's actually in it, right? Like, is it possible to get rid of more toxins? And in fact, yes, even heavy metals in some degree that has been found in sweat. So definitely mold. So byproducts of mold. So anytime, you know, if I have a patient or a client who has mold exposure, mold toxicity, it's definitely number one of sweating. And also detoxification of hormones, you know, for women dealing with heavier periods or, you know, estrogen dominance, it's important to support the liver in that. So I actually got, so sauna, it can be difficult for some people. If you don't have a gym that has a sauna or if you don't have a, you know, a big apparatus in your home, but I use higher dose. I know that there's other brands out there, but it's kind of like a sleeping bag and you just zip it up and you plug it in and you can read a book. You can listen to, but you can't really read a book because your your arms seem to be inside. So I haven't read a book, but I listen to music or I listen to a podcast or I lay it in the living room where I can watch a show, but just laying in it for about 30 minutes most days, three or four times a week at least, just really getting that sweat on top of, you know, I work out and, and sweat that way. But there's something about that heat that just really is cleansing, right? Like it it just can help. What else did you find of like the promotion of the heat and sauna? What else have you learned about that? Interestingly, like it kind of links back to what you're talking about earlier with the circadian rhythm, because it really does promote better sleep. Right. And so we talk about the cold to wake you up. Well, the saunas can actually be the really good heat and help you kind of wind down. And one thing I just wanted to circle back around when we're talking about that circadian rhythm is, you know, what you were mentioning before is we have that cortisol awakening response in the morning. And so having that shower, making sure we're eating to really wake our bodies up and then making sure we're winding down effectively in the evening is something that we're not really doing. Right. When we've got that blue light exposure, it's telling the brand that there's a party going on. Whereas if you were to potentially have the sauna, again, it helps calm the body down, wind the body down after that burst of, you know, stress because it's some sort of hormetic response. And it can be really, really helpful to improve people's sleep and sleep health. So I think if we're looking at this big picture, right, people who are wanting to biohack, starting with optimizing your circadian rhythm is really, really powerful. You know, if you're watching that TV show while you've got your high dose sleeping bag thing going on, put your blue light glasses on as well, help block out some of that blue light and you'll be able to help yourself wind down really well. And I think if you're wanting optimal health, which is what most of us are really aiming for once if you, you know, once you've got out of that healing stage, if you've had to go through that, applying these sorts of things as a regular practice, having a really good morning routine that might include a cold shower or a cold plunge. And a good evening routine, you know, for me, it's going to be at the end of my gym sessions, once I'm able to get back into doing those a little bit better, a really 
pop in four times a week into the sauna, really sweat it out after the gym, go home, have my shower and wind down. But I know we train in the evening. So again, it's a good winding down technique from that perspective too. Mm -hmm. Something with, you mentioned sleep and, you know, it's probably counterintuitive to what you would think. But when we heat the body up with sauna, with a hot shower, your actual core temperature then is trying to cool the body down. And we need a good cool environment. Our body actually has a lower temperature when we sleep. And so that stimulates that cooling down mechanism inside our body. And so in that sense, yes, it can definitely help to relax you and really turn that on so that when you lay in bed, that cooling down system is already just really revved up and that promotes deeper sleep too. So overall, yeah, sauna is an amazing thing. Red light therapy with the sauna can be really helpful because that stimulates the the powerhouse of our cells, which is the mitochondria, helps mitochondrial health, which really, when we talk about boiling things down to energy, it really starts there. It's like inside the cell and it's teeny tiny mitochondria inside of the cell and the red light therapy helps to rejuvenate to really simulate mitochondrial health so without getting too sciencey on that right now combining red light with your sauna can be really powerful for overall cellular health and energy and detoxification so we love that what about breath work let's tap on that breath work has been life-changing for me you know it doesn't have to be this big production either that's what i love about it like we always have our breath so whether you're going in a cold plunge whether you're feeling anxious whether you're wanting to just meditate and tap into getting your day started i recommend it when people wake up in the middle of the night and can't fall back asleep there's so many different techniques i am not a breathwork specialist but i have definitely connected with people who are for my own benefits. And then I share what I know with my clients and my patients all the time because it is so powerful, just just regulating our breath. I'll share really quickly and then I want you to share too. But I, so one of my favorites is box breathing. It's one of my favorites. Really where you're just, you know, you breathe in really deeply for a count of four. You hold that at the top for a count of four. You breathe out for a count of four, maybe five and then hold that for kind of four. So it kind of creates this box of four. I use that if I'm feeling anxious. I use that if I wake up in the middle of the night. Yeah, I use it all the time if I just am finding myself needing to relax. And the more I've started this practice, like even if I'm starting to feel tension in my body, just relaxing my body and taking like five deep breaths in and out is like it completely changes how I can show up and how I can just step into calm like i've got this right so and then of course there's breathwork sessions where there's all different kinds of different breath techniques but that's my experience the one that i use day in day out most people don't even know that you're doing it and you can reap the benefits no matter where you are but what's your experience with breathwork it's something that i feel i've really dived into you know like breathwork is life begins and ends with breath right and i think we quite often forget like what you said just even taking those deeper breaths to calm the body down we take it back to that nervous system level and look at our sympathetic nervous system, our fight or flight, and our rest and digest. One of the biggest things we do is we breathe very shallowly with this high cortisol environment, this high stress environment that we live in. And so we're not getting deep breaths. We're not getting that oxygen saturation through to ourselves, through to our bodies, to be able to really calm ourselves down. So it also then, when we're in our fight or flight, inhibits digestion. 
So taking like six, five to six deep diaphragmatic breaths is all that's needed to switch you from sympathetic nervous system to parasympathetic nervous system. So doing that, like you say, before you go to sleep, even if you wake up in the night, all the box breathing is amazing. Same sort of thing, right? Um, really calming the body down before a meal. So you're switching back into that state. We're optimizing digestive health. Diaphragmatic breathing is one of the most underrated forms of breath work, I think, that's out there, right? And that's literally, you can do it right now. Notice when you breathe in, pop a hand on your heart, hand on your belly. Are you breathing into your chest first? Or are you breathing all the way down into your diaphragm and actually expanding? When you, can you feel your belly button push against your hand and expand out? And we're not doing that. We're really living this and we don't realize how shallow. And that's communicating more anxiety, more stress to the brain and to the body and keeping you in that fight or flight state. So I think the box breathing is amazing. Another one I love, I learned a lot of breathing techniques through all the yoga that I've done. And it's called Nadi Shadana in the kundalini practice or alternate nostril breathing in general in terms but essentially you're you know you're putting your fingers on your forehead you're blocking one nostril you're breathing in through that one you're closing it off you're breathing out the other one and you're just going up and out and up and out alternating through the nostrils and that can really help again calm the body down there's even you know if you go further into it you can just block one side and it activates your, you know, more of your um, creative juices and you block the other side and it creates, um, it activates more of your logical brain, right? And so all of these sorts of things are just incredible that you can use simply through breath. So, and I know something that both of us have done is like holotropic breath work, which is another whole thing that I just want to mention in terms of the nervous system, because you've got the stuff we're talking about to calm the body down, but you've also got the other side which can really heighten that sympathetic state as well. Did you want to touch a little bit on that? Yeah, the holotropic breath work, the sessions that I've done have been around 30 minutes. This is definitely something that I love, but if you've never done it before, you want to do it with someone who knows what they're doing. You want to do it with someone who can, you know, either over Zoom or in person be there to support you in case you need, you know, you just need support. But it's more of the rapid breathing where you're breathing directly into your belly and then out your chest, in the belly, out the chest. So it's a pattern of breathing, but it changes the chemistry in your brain. And it can be powerful when you're talking about envisioning something new, really getting clarity on something. It can create a lot of shifts in your brain and it's just the way, the experience that you have with it. So it's, it's essentially a form of hyperventilating that changes the pH of the blood, which then changes the brain chemistry. And it, you know, it can have some symptoms. You know, you get the tingly hands, sometimes the cramping hands. But what I love about it is that those symptoms, once you're done with it, the discomfort is really resolved within about five minutes. But the power of that brain chemistry shift and change in that 30 minutes of doing breath work like that has really changed a lot for me. It just brings new insights to life. So that's a whole other way of doing breath work, which I love. I don't do that as often, but I think going there and learning the power of breath has helped me integrate it into my daily life where I feel that tension and focusing on your breath, just like you said, like five deep breaths, not only does it help you calm down and get into that parasympathetic rest and digest phase, it also brings you back to the present moment because when you're focusing on your breath, you're here, you're in your body. You're feeling it. You're feeling expansive. You're releasing, right? You're releasing stress. 
And I think, you know, talking to our audience, which is made up mainly of, you know, really powerful people, people achieving big things in life that comes with a lot of stress and the power of your breath before you walk into a meeting or before you walk into a party that you maybe feel intimidated by people or you're doing a project that maybe you don't feel safe in, you know, you just, you feel your nervous system, like I can't do this, or you're about to walk on stage, whatever it is, the power of just the deep breaths, the calming breaths that you can take has shifted my personal anxious anxiety experiences. And I love it. I recommend it to all of my patients and clients to really tap into that. And especially the box breathing, it's just an easy way to start. And you always have your breath. Like you don't need anything. You don't need any apparatus. You just have to breathe. I love it. I couldn't agree with you more. And just like we were talking about with the cold showers, with the saunas, all of that comes down to can you control your breath? Like I said, when I shared, when I first jumped into that ice bath, if you haven't actually done a few breaths to calm your body down, you're going to go into shock. And sometimes people then end up hyperventilating. They don't get all the benefits of being in that. They can have a really terrible experience, right? So it's like combining a lot of these tools with the breath and going, it's okay. Like I'm calm, calm the body down. And then jumping into the cold punch, right? Yeah. And some of that. Or in the sauna, you can get kind of hot. And again, ventilation can increase. And so you want to just calm your body down. And I think it's amazing. I know that even the holotropic breath work, a lot of people are now using as intertwining with therapy and, you know, PTSD. And like you said, it has some incredible benefits for the mind from like a mindset perspective, being open to new ideas, retraining those neurons that are firing in the brain. So you know, if you're going to start somewhere, I think the easiest one, like you just pointed out, is your breath because you don't need anything. You don't need an ice bath. You don't, you know, you don't need anything at all. You can literally just start right now by taking a deep breath in all the way to your belly and a big breath out. And, you know, even through the nose, just making that subtle shift through the nose versus the mouth breathing. That's a whole nother conversation we could go into. But it's yeah. little things like that that can really help the body heal as well. Yes. Yeah, it's interesting that it's become so mainstream over the past, I don't know, maybe decade, but, you know, other people that use this, other, you know, high intensity jobs, maybe in the military, divers, they utilize this breath work for a long time to not only change the pH of their of their blood so that they can hold their breath longer, let's say in diving, but recognizing the benefits of that, that it really has helped them with anxiety, it really shifts things in your body, you know? And so I'm so glad that it's become more mainstream. It's so much more accessible to do things like holotropic, you know, assistant breath work sessions and things like that. But yeah, it doesn't have to be difficult. It doesn't have to be complicated. You don't have to do any special training, just simply doing the alternating nostril breathing, the box breathing, taking five deep breaths in the middle of your day or any time you feel stressed, that's where you start and you'll see a shift. I mean, it's it's really fascinating and amazing that we have this powerful tool and yet don't take advantage of it, right? So yeah, I think we touched on a lot of really great biohacking topics. You know, I know that we didn't dive super deep into them, but hopefully this is helpful to everybody listening to what's available to you and really doing some of these things, integrating some, a new habit, integrating one or all of these things, like maybe piece by piece, integrating these can make such a difference in your energy, in your sleep, in your way of thinking and showing up in the world. I know they've all helped me and continue to grow and learn in each one of these areas because it's powerful. Like it's just, it's just amazing how much more we can optimize ourselves when we pay attention to what's available, what we, what we have around us. So yeah. Any closing thoughts? Yeah. I think what I'll just say is just we'll pop some resources and, and extra learnings and that sort of thing in the show notes. Cause I think 
yeah, I've got a link to the cold hokey pokey YouTube video, which might be in a, a good little place for people to get started. Or if you are wanting to learn a little bit more about, you know, any of these sorts of things or wondering where to start, it can be helpful to dive a little bit deeper and, and see what feels really aligned for you. But exactly like what you said, Krista, it's just pick one. Maybe you start with your breath and then maybe you start to layer it in. Like it doesn't have to be all or nothing. Like I said, I've only just started doing the cold showers. Saunas haven't even been on my agenda. You can slowly weave them into your life. And and sometimes it takes getting sick. Sometimes it takes something else to be the nudge. But hopefully you can do this for a place of, of generating optimal health and well-being and actually use it more of as a preventative measure than something that you need to pull you out of anything too. Yeah, love it. Love this topic. Can't wait to talk more and dive in more and deeper levels on each one of these down the road. Hope you guys have all enjoyed it. Thanks for being here and we'll see you next time. If you love this episode, be sure to leave us a review, download and subscribe. If you know someone that could also benefit from this conversation, please share. That's how we spread empowered health. We'll see you again for another episode of the Wild and Wild Collective.